Hey, it's Chris Honorado, Sean Bagnardi. You're watching Honorado and Bagnardi. We're on Facebook and Twitter today to bring you uh, a really fun, informative, inspirational conversation with our buddy Jason Romano, who's from the Capital Region, Ravina grad, and yeah. uh, has done some really, really big things in the world of sports and now beyond, uh, which is why we're going to speak with Jason today. Bags, I, uh, I thought about wearing black today to represent my mood yeah. after the Braves lost 23, I guess he's 23 today, 23-year-old Mike Soroka to an Achilles injury. And for as much as you and I have said, this is the last year we want our teams to win a championship because it will forever be remembered as the year that really didn't count and maybe shouldn't have happened in the first place. Oh, look at you. Now you're going to now you're going to push for a title. Get out of here. But no, that's you're not, you're not rooting it. You're not a guy at 22 yeah. who like what is he going to come back to be after an Achilles tendon injury? Right. Look, my point was you're not actively rooting against your of team course. this year. But yes, this is the last thing you want to see in this kind of season. And I mean, I felt for you, you knew it right away. I mean, yes. instantly, you could tell just by his reaction that he knew what it was. And then subsequently, we all knew what it was. But I will say this, I am happy that I can finally have some Mets support today. And we could double team, Jason, I can double team you as the Braves fan. Um, it's good to have some Mets love on the show. Yeah, as soon as I mean, even before Soroka went down with the injury, you knew the game was over because it was what three nothing, and Degrom was pitching for you guys, so the game was already in hand. But the injury right. was, yeah, was uh, insult to injury, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, Jason Romano is doing big, big things. He's got a second book out. Here's his first book. Um, although I am, I am reading this the second one. Here's Live to Forgive, uh, which is so powerful about the relationship of. Of father and son, and 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 Jason's path to uh, religion now and Christianity, and 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 his second book is called "The Uniform of Leadership." Uh, Jason, it's so good to see you, man. I know we've talked in the past. It's it's always a pleasure. How are you? I'm doing good, Chris. Sean, good to see you both, man. Thanks for having me. The book, uh, "The Uniform of Leadership," and and we'll we'll dig into your past here and and what what it was that made you leave ESPN for this higher calling. Um, but the uniform of leadership is not strictly faith-based. It's oh, what no. you learned over your years at ESPN that turned you into the leader you are today. When did when did this become the thought of a book? Yeah, I think, you know, we've known each other a little while, Chris, but if we go back five years and you told me that I, A, would have left ESPN and B, would have written two books, I would have laughed at you. But at the very least, if you just said you're going to write a book, I would have said it would be this book because the most common question I get is, what is it like to work at ESPN? What's it like to be a part of all that ESPN is? What's it like to be around the shows that you've worked on, the different athletes and entertainers that you've been a part of? So the idea from the book kind of was always there if I was going to write a book, right? Um, but it's not something I ever sought out or wanted to do. I never had a desire or a goal to be an author or to write any kind of books. But when we wrote the first book, Live to Forgive, my co-author Steve Copeland and I said, all right, maybe we'll think about a second book, but I'm not going to go as deep or have it be as difficult uh, in the sense of going deep into my emotions and my past and my personal story as that first book. And so we started brainstorming ideas. And I always thought, what would it look like to share about tales and stories from my experiences at ESPN. I was a talent booker at ESPN for nine of my 17 years. I got to meet a lot of different people and interact with a lot of different celebrities and, and athletes um, just being around my job every day. And so I had a ton of stories and I thought, well, let's put these stories into a book and share it with everyone. But then as we started putting together the manuscript, the idea was really more focused on, well, do I want people to just read the book and be entertained or do I want them to be encouraged and to be able to apply whatever we write about into their lives? And really it's about the second half of that. I don't, the entertainment part is fine. You might find the stories fun and entertaining, but I really wanted people to be able to apply it into their lives. And that's where we came up with the idea of leadership lessons and every single person mentioned and talked, talked about in the book 
demonstrated these amazing leadership lessons on making it about others first, being others focused. And that's where the, the, the idea of the uniform of leadership came from. The title itself actually came from the publisher. And they said, hey, we like this idea of a uniform and being centered around leadership and true success. What do you think? Initially, I didn't like it. Um, but then once we started putting the manuscript together and really formulated the book around the idea of wearing the uniform of leadership properly, that's when we went forth. And I think it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's so far, it's been out a little while. And the few people that have read it have sent me notes and said it really has encouraged them and challenged them in their leadership walk. So. In the book, you talk about uh, people who wear the uniform backwards. In other words, the name is more important, so it's on the front because they're more selfish. They're not team-oriented. And I think we see leaders like that in all walks of life, in all businesses. So my question to you is, what's the best thing you can do when faced with a leader like that? In other words, you talk a lot in the book about how you can sort of prevent yourself from becoming like that. But what do you do if you're in a position where a leader who you are under has the uniform maybe on backwards? All right, so this isn't in the book, uh, but I worked with some leaders who wore those uniform backwards who were my bosses and people in charge of the, the positions that I was in. And it was really hard. I don't, I don't know if I handled it properly because you know I would often go to some of my you know, teammates and, and coworkers and say, are you seeing this the way I'm seeing this? And, and really kind of not going deep into the gossip world, but really kind of trying to figure out if I was the only one that was feeling this, if it was an attack on me or if it was other people. The way I've learned to handle it now, as I look back, was a couple things. First of all, always keep that dialogue going with those that you work with. Remember that even if the situation isn't the greatest, um, you're there for a purpose and you're, you were hired to do a job. So be great at what you were hired to do. And if you're still feeling like this person isn't respecting you or is wearing the uniform backwards or whatever, I think then it's okay to kind of start conversations and just build relationships with people to see if maybe there's another avenue to turn to. But, you know, I talk, I talked a lot about in my second chapter about blooming where you're planted. And the idea is that we're all placed in different spaces in our journeys. Some of us uh, you know, think about, and I got caught up with this, thinking about where we're going, what's the next job, climbing the corporate ladder, getting the next raise. Those are all very natural thoughts on the journeys that we have in our careers. But if we get so caught up in the destination, we're going to miss what we're doing here in the journey. And that happened to me. I got so caught up in trying to be a producer one, which is the title at ESPN to be a producer, that I missed out on being really good as a talent producer, which was the job I was in. And so I was, I was hurting my teammates by not focusing on the job that I had. And I was only trying to, to please me by focusing on the job that I wanted but didn't have yet. And that was when I was wearing the uniform of leadership backwards. So my encouragement would be, you know, obviously communication, man. That's so important. And with our bosses, with our people, we have to respect them. They're in authority positions. And it doesn't make it easy. But I think killing them with kindness, serving you know, showing them what the uniform of leadership, wearing it properly is all about. Hopefully you can be the example and be a leader to that person and they can see that and then be impacted themselves. Well, the one thing that struck me, because I think it applies to everybody, Jason, the, the kind of the theme of the book here was, you know, your ambition. Um, and, and it's funny, like we can look as far down the road as possible and still be short-sighted. So even though that's a big theme of the book in a lot of ways, what would you say to somebody to maybe change their mind, change their way of thinking that, you know, how do you maximize the here and now? I love the quote that's in here. The best leaders aren't destination obsessed. They're present oriented. How, how do you become that if you aren't currently? Yeah. First of all, it's a process. You know, it's not an instantaneous thing, you know, that we can just put in a microwave and put two minutes in and boom, we're all set. It's a process. It's really a, a starts with the mindset, I think, of going in. You know, the the idea of wearing the uniform of leadership is is, you know, for me, God first, but then others second, focusing on others and then ourselves third. So we're not taking ourselves out of the equation. We're just making sure it's in the proper order. So I think waking up every day and saying, okay, how can I serve the people that I'm going to be around with and love them right where they are at every single day? 
you know, the, the selfish nature that we're all born with focuses on ourselves first. You know, that's just who we are. And I think it becomes a mindset shift. If we can wake up every day and say, all right, who can I serve today? How, how can I help make the people around me better? How can I do better at my job, which, in help, which helps the people around me be better at their job? So you're always thinking about serving others. When I got that, when my mind, mindset changed and I shifted from serving myself to serving others, that's when doors opened and I benefited for myself, if that makes sense. That's where I got opportunities to get promotions and got opportunities to to experience things and go places that I never thought I would. And it's funny how that works, right? You know, but a lot of people are afraid to let go of that control. And they think by serving others or helping others that they're actually hurting themselves when it's actually, and to me, it's quite the opposite. So you can, you can still be others oriented yet still have that drive for your own success, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the idea is you want to be excellent at what you do. I mean, I, I wanted to be as good a producer as I could be. I wanted to continue to be the best employee that I could be, but the mission wasn't to be the best employee that I could be so that I could get a raise, which I think a lot of us try that. We try to be as good as we can to be sort of patted on the back and recognize and get the achievement. The goal for me was to be the best that I could be so that that others could be the best that they could be. And so in me doing that, I was serving them because like I said, in 2008, I was in a really bad place at ESPN where I was so focused on myself and my teammates around me were like, what's Romano doing? What's wrong with this guy? We need him to be right here right now and helping us be better and really making our team look better as we go forth in the job that we're in. And so, yeah, you should always strive and achieve to be great at what you do. But it's, again, a mindset. What are you being great for? Are you trying to be great to get the accolades, to get the pats on the back, to get the likes on the, on the social media pages? Or are you trying to be great so that it impacts others? Because to me, leadership is impacting others and serving others. That's it. Impact and serving others. If it's, if it's about yourself, I don't know if you can even – there's no such thing as a selfish leader. You're just selfish. You're not a leader if you're selfish. So that's really where I see it as, yes, strive to be great, strive to do great in your work, but have the mindset shift of I'm doing it because I want to impact others. The book is the uniform of leadership. And I don't know, dude, after two books, I might stop based on the the two guys you've had write your foreword. Right. Daryl Strawberry on the first one. And then John Gordon, who Shawnee and I had on our show go way back more than a year. I don't know why the hell he said yes to us, but he did <laughs> an enlightening conversation. Uh, so Straw and Gordon, Jason, man. Well, listen, Gordon actually said to me, John Gordon, he's like, why did you ask me? Why not Tony Dungy or somebody else from your book? And I'm like, John, the reason I'm writing a leadership book is because you've influenced me in leadership because of all the books that you've written. So that's why I asked you. And he said, yes, thankfully. And he's one of the best writers hmm. around, John Gordon. And Daryl, I mean, that's just crazy. He actually endorsed the second book too. And yep. Daryl has become a friend. And it's just insane to think that, you know, I have a relationship with my childhood sports hero. But yeah, I, I've got the creme de la creme, I guess, of, of people writing forwards for books. I don't know where else to go from here. Hopefully we're done writing books, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know about that. Bags, let me ask one here about the book real quick, buddy. Yeah. Um, where did, Jason, where did the idea come in for the questions at the end of the chapters? As we were writing the book and putting the manuscript together, when we were thinking about application, right? How can you apply this to your life? That's where we came up with the questions. So it allows you to go through this book with yourself, but also to go through as a team. So you you guys might buy copies and have four or five people that are on your team and go through this book together. And the questions allow you to, to no pun intended, uniformly have the same thought process as you're going through the book. You know, what does it look like to wear the uniform of leadership? How can I have the uniform of leadership apply to my life? So each question at the end of every chapter or the questions that are at the end of every chapter is designed to challenge you, to help you implement and apply that to your life. And then really to go through it together with someone else or a bunch of other people. All right. So without spoiling really anything from the book here, you do tell uh, an interesting story about Pete Carroll and a trip that he had to ESPN and that being an example of leadership for you. 
I'm wondering, in all of your time at ESPN, it might be that one, might be a different one, what was the best example of leadership that you saw that inspired you? Oh, there's so many. I mean, the best example of leadership probably was Tammy. And I don't know if you guys have read chapter four yet, but Tammy, uh, chapter five, actually. But Tammy was the cashier in the cafeteria at ESPN. So she worked in the, ca- the cafeteria. We've all worked in places where there's been a, pla- a person that we go and see every day, whether it's a Starbucks or another place that we say, oh, there is that person. And you just see him every day, right? Well, Tammy, you know, wasn't the vice president of whatever. She wasn't the senior manager in charge of whatever. She was just, in, in the sense of a title perspective at ESPN, just a cashier. But she was so much more than just a cashier. I mean, she was the face that all of us saw all 3,000 of us saw pretty much every day when we go get lunch. And so all of these people coming through the halls every day are seeing Tammy. And Tammy was one of the best leaders I ever saw because she was consistent every single day in focusing on others. So this person would walk through the cafeteria like myself. I go get my salad, which was maybe once a week, right? We weren't always eating salads, guys, but I go get a salad, come through the line and there's Tammy and she would take my order and she would always say, hi, Jason, how are you? How's your family doing? You know, here's how much the order costs. I give her the order or give her the money. And then we would say, good to see you. Hope you have a great day. 25, 30 seconds tops. But every single day she did that with myself and thousands of other people. And it just made us all feel like a million dollars for that 30 seconds because we got to see Tammy smile because she was so focused on all of us. And by the way, guys, I don't know if you know people in your life that remember names of people. I'm terrible at it. Tammy knew the name of every single person at ESPN. I'm telling you, she at least first names. because She would say hi to people. And I'm like, how does Tammy know that person? How does Tammy know that person? She knew every single person's name. And so when you think about leadership, you might not think of Tammy. In a normal situation, you might think of the person who's in charge or one of the on-air people at ESPN that you might watch on TV, people like Bob Lee, who was a tremendous leader, and I had to write about him in my book too. But Tammy is the perfect example of the leader that we all can be and the leader that we all see every single day. We don't even realize that we're seeing it. So probably Tammy. She's awesome. Jason, for the people watching this who maybe didn't read the first book, maybe haven't heard an interview with you in the past, you were a producer at ESPN for 17 years. And so maybe people are thinking like, why would he ever leave that place? What is it that made you leave ESPN? Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, um, if I was ever going to leave, it would have been when I left because I was probably halfway point in my career. I was 40 years old and thinking about, do I want to stay here forever and be a lifetime ESPNer, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Or if I ever want to try something else, when do I want to do that? And I felt like if I had waited five or 10 years to maybe being 50 or 45, I was, was I going to miss that opportunity? Right. And so that was part of it. The other part of it was my faith. And, you know, I just felt a real tugging in my spirit to, to do more in my faith. You know, my faith is the most important thing in my life. And I thought, well, maybe there's a way to mix the world of sports and all the experiences that I had in the sports world and intersect that with my faith somehow. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that meant. And all of a sudden, this opportunity came in 2016 when I was called by a guy named Steve Stenstrom, who is now my boss and runs a ministry called Pro Athletes Outreach and basically is overseer of this media company called Sports Spectrum that is the intersection of sports and faith. We talk about athletes and coaches and ask them about their faith and you know what that looks like for them. When I was approached about coming over to Sports Spectrum, uh, initially I wanted to just say yes because I felt like it was really a sweet spot. And again, I was feeling like this was the time to, to try something different if I was going to, but it didn't make sense. It was a 40% pay cut. It was leaving ESPN and all the benefits, not just the money, the most money I was making ever when I left ESPN, but the benefits that come from working for the Walt Disney Company, you know, that was really hard to turn away and say goodbye to. But I just knew if I don't do it now, I may never do it. And I felt like I had built enough enough equity that in leaving, if I screw this up or if this wasn't my calling and where I was supposed to go, then I felt like I had built enough equity where I could go back and and call 
people at ESPN or really anybody in the business and hopefully get another job. Uh, but I just felt like it was the right time. And three years later, I can tell you it's been amazing to be a part of uh, also hosting a show, which I had never done uh, at ESPN. Uh, that was really appealing to me and interesting. And it's something I wanted to do since college. And now I'm 40 years old and able to to pursue that. And I love it. It's great. I get to talk to athletes and coaches and different people in the world of sports, people like John Gordon outside of sports, you know, every day. And uh, it's awesome. So I'm really I'm really thankful. You find all that you see at the bottom of your screen, sportspectrum.com. So you touched on this, Jason, a little bit when you were talking about Tammy, but what advice would you have for anybody who feels like they maybe don't have the courage to be a leader? I think people sometimes can look at leadership as being intimidating, as yeah. you have to tell somebody what to do or tell them something they don't want to hear. It might invite a confrontation, even if it's a small one that people aren't comfortable with. So what advice would you have for people who are worried about taking that next step to leadership if that's something they have concerns about? I said this actually a couple of days ago to a few friends of mine um, who asked me a similar question. They said, I'm just not cut to be a leader, cut out or fit to be a leader. And I said, well, you really don't have a choice. You are a leader uh, because you have influence. The question is, are you going to wear the uniform of leadership properly? Are you going to recognize that you're a leader and then recognize that influence to help others? Um, that's my biggest piece of advice is understanding that wherever you are right now, whoever you are, whoever's watching this, you're a leader because you have influence on someone else. So you might be a single guy in your 20s and thinking, I don't have any influence on anybody. I'm just trying to start here. Well, you know what? There's a college kid who wants your job someday. So have influence on them and be a leader to them. You know, start where you are, right? If you're a parent or you're a husband or a dad like or a mom or a wife, you are a leader because you have influence right there in your house. Maybe the most important place you're going to have influence is right there in the home. You know, for me, my most influential uh, person that I can lead every single day is my daughter. And so I have to be an example to her first. And so we're all leaders. It's just a matter of where you want to, uh, where God has placed you or where, what specific influence that you have to help be a light to others. And if you tell me you're not a leader, I'm just going to, I'm just going to disagree with you. You might not think you have the leadership qualities of running an organization or, or, or that, but remember there's a big difference between being a great leader and being a boss. And there's a huge difference there. There's a lot of bosses, but Tammy wasn't a boss, but she was a leader, a great leader. And you can be a great leader right where you're at, too. The book, again, The Uniform of Leadership. Uh, and Jason, one kind of faith question from me here. Uh, sure. I, was, I was born into it, um, but not everybody is. Some people find it later in life. We talked with John Gordon even about this is, is kind of a, a rebirth in ways, if you will. And for you... It was later on too, right? Where you realize, you know what, finding my relationship with God is really important to me. Why Why did you find it when you found it? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, I was a kid who grew up in Ravina, like you guys said. And, uh, you know, I used to go to church as a kid with my grandfather and uh, St. Patrick's Church in Ravina, if anybody's watching from Ravina right now, and, you know, did the whole good Catholic boy, things that you're supposed to do, you know, make my first communion, do my confirmation, all the things. But I didn't really take my faith seriously. I just did it because my, my mom and dad or stepfather told me to do it. My grandfather said, you got to do this. So I did it. And, you know, then I kind of just walked away from it. Not that I was walk ever walking towards it. I just really didn't care. I was so focused on, on me and my journey and graduating high school, going to college, going into broadcasting, you know, eventually getting married, having kids, all that was important to me. But faith really wasn't there. But then I saw my brother, Chris, who um, also a Ravina grad and, and one of the great athletes in Ravina history. Uh, I'll brag about him for a second. Holds a lot of school records there, quarterback records. But I watched him go from a life that was just caught up in, in some really bad things. We'll just keep it at that. And then his faith became real to him. And he did a 180 and he turned around and became a different person. Now, at first I thought he was crazy because I'm like, this is nuts. This is like cultish type stuff. And this is really weird. But that was just what, what I was thinking because it was so foreign to me. 
But then I watched the way he loved his wife. I watched the way he raised his first son, Sam. He's got four or five kids now. But I watched the way he was early on with his family. And I saw a different person. I saw a person who was literally transformed and changed and became a different person, a much better version of himself. And so I was really piqued by that. And that's really where it came from. You know, it just it happened to be the day, you know, that I was with my family, Mother's Day of 2001, when my my relationship with got started because Chris, my brother, recognized a moment and he just shared with me what, you know, had happened to him over the last few years and said, do you want this too? And I said, I think I do. I don't really understand it. I don't really know what I'm saying yes 100% to, but I felt like in my spirit, like I just need, I needed this. I needed a change. I needed to, to stop being so focused on me. I needed to be focused on something else, something greater. Because I think we all have to wrestle with that question. Like, what's our purpose here? You know, our purpose here for me was initially to get a job at ESPN and, you know, get married and have kids and then die, right? But like, there's a greater purpose, I believe, that we're all placed on this earth for. And for me, I wanted to find what that purpose was. And I found it through my relationship with God, like living to serve him and to help and serve others um, was really what I found my true calling, if you want to put it that way. And on Sport Spectrum, you've spoken with some of the biggest athletes on the planet. Um, yeah. I, I get why talking about religion and politics, you know, makes people uncomfortable. I, I, I completely understand it. Sure. But we oftentimes hear in post-game interviews an athlete first say, you know, their glory and respect, right? To, has it been difficult for you to get athletes beyond just that simple kind of passing comment to sit down with you and talk for a half hour? It hasn't been that difficult. Uh, well, it's difficult anyways. We, we know this job is not easy to call people, to get them to say yes to, to scheduled interviews. That's not easy to do. People might think it is. Uh, but it's not. But it hasn't been difficult to get them to say yes once I get to the people to ask them to come on the show because very rarely are they placed in a, in a, in a situation, particularly a conversation, where it's comfortable for them to talk about their faith in a very non-threatening way. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a weird way, if you will, um, where, you know, you know, my, a lot of people watching or thinking like, oh, this or that. So I try to present an opportunity where I'm just talking to these people about their faith, ask them what I believe is the most important thing in their lives. Most of the people that we've talked to, if not the majority, including myself, will, will say that their faith is the most important thing in their life, number one. And so for me, I always say, listen, if that's the number one thing in your life and you're very rarely asked about it, you know, where can we find a place to talk about something like that? And so that's what the show is about. I'm honored to be able to do it. And I, I think it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we just had Deshaun Watson on a couple of weeks yeah. ago, or last week, actually. And, you know, I had no idea about the depth or, you know, how, how deep and wide his relationship with God was. I just knew that he was kind of like what you said, Chris, you know, he would thank God occasionally here and there. And, and talk a little bit on social media about his faith. So I think, let's have him on, let's talk sports, let's ask him about his new book, but then let's let's ask him about his faith and see where he goes. Some guys go really deep, some guys stay, you know, fairly guarded, but either way, we get to at least ask the question where a lot of places, you know, are, are scared to go there and I get why, you know. Uh, the one thing I will say, you mentioned religion and politics, I'm a no politics guy if we can avoid it. I just see nothing positive about it definitely in my show. But I think faith, you know, most people, if you talk to them, they're at least open to hear someone else's story. It doesn't mean they have to be converted or have religion or faith pushed on to them. But if it works for that person and that's really what's helped them be successful and help them find purpose, that's amazing. So let's hear their story. And that's what we try to do. Chris and I are with you there on the politics. I think we could all agree too many people wearing the uniform backwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, speak it, Sean, speak it. <laughs> my, my question for you, though, was is about faith and leadership. Uh, do you feel like people who you've come across who have, you know, deep beliefs rooted in faith tend to be better leaders? And how do you think the two go hand in hand, if, the, if at all? I, th I don't think just because you have, a f you know, a deep faith in the Lord or whatever your faith is in that you're automatically going to be a great leader. I will say the model for me in where I wrote this book about was Jesus. And if you just, even if you don't believe that he is who he says he, he, he was, 
God's son or whatever. If you look at how he lived his life and how that he's portrayed in the Bible, he says he came to this earth to serve others. That's what he said. It's his words. And so I look at at Jesus as this example of a great leader, probably the greatest leader we've ever seen in the way that he was sacrificial. He was so others focused. He was so purpose driven. He was patient with others. Um, you know, he was just an amazing leader. And so again, whether you, whether you agree with him or not, that's a whole different story on terms of religion, but you can't deny how much being a leader, a servant leader, not only, was attractive to other people, but impacted so many people's lives. He was so others focused. And so I do think faith and leadership can intersect. Now, I don't think you need to be a follower uh, of Jesus to be a great leader, but I would tell you if you're a great leader, you're probably using the examples of Jesus and you don't even realize it, if that makes sense. And that's why we tried to write the book in that way. I know John Gordon's written books his way, the same way too, where all of his principles are from the Bible, even though he's not pushing religion or faith on anyone, but he's trying to show people, hey, if you're serving others and you're caring about others and you're others focused when you come into your work and your job every day, well, that's the example of, of who this guy Jesus was. So I do think it can mix. I do think you, you, know, you don't ever want to force anything on anyone, but I think you can show them the example and then let them, you know, let them go where they want to go cultural reference here that in, and bags is a little bit younger than i am jason but i think yep. you'll get this uh all of this uniform on backwards talk is making me think yoenna cespedes is the crisscross oh. of leaders in major league baseball is he not the mac daddy makes you jump jump <laughs> don't make me start rapping chris now sean do you know who crisscross is were you I able did. to remember crisscross okay yeah unfortunately Actually, I know who you, Cespedes is too <laughs> The suspects. I mean, I, I don't. Now you're going to have me wearing the uniform of leadership backwards because I'm going to get so mad here. But I'm a Mets fan through and through with Benson C80s. And like, what are you doing, dude? I, I get, I totally get that if you're uncomfortable wanting to finish the season because of COVID, you, you opt out. But there, like, again, there's just the proper way to do things. And if you're others focused, you can do that in a way where you, you know, send a note, send an email, send a text care about your teammates, show them, hey, I'm so sorry that I'm doing this. I know this affects you guys, but I need to do what's best for me. But to just not show up and leave a message through your agent and then the team doesn't know what to say and players are left in the dark. Yeah, that is wearing the uniform of leadership way backwards. Let's well, I'll ask say that. As, as the Mets fan, and I'll ask it optimistically, but yeah. in life, don't you think that you can have some addition by subtraction if you do get rid of those people, even if they're talented in what they do, even if they can help your organization from a skills standpoint, can there be addition by subtraction when you eliminate people who don't wear the uniform the right way? Absolutely. I mean, we see it in sports, guys. We see the guys who are all about 40 homers or, you know, 40 points in a game and their teams, you know, 40 games under 500. And, you know, they're all about themselves, selfish. We've seen, we've seen guys like this. And we've also seen teams when those guys leave thrive, right? We've seen teams come together. And I, you know, to be fair with Cespedes, when he came in in 2015, the Mets traded for him. He was insane in, in what he accomplished, and he led the Mets and helped catapult them to the World Series. So I still will always have a little bit of a soft spot for Cespedes because he gave me the one great memory I've had in 20 years with the Mets and them going to the World Series. But yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of guys out there. I, don't, I can't name names off the top of my head, but I even alluded to in my book, I think it was the first chapter, the 2004 Lakers. If you remember that team, the 0304 Lakers, they had Carl Malone, Gary Payton, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kobe Bryant. And they formed this sort of super team that they thought just because they're all future Hall of Famers, they would just run through the league. And they had a good season, but when push came to shove, they ran into a team in the Detroit Pistons who – all of them wore the uniform of leadership properly. They didn't care about credit. They didn't care about having any big name superstars. They just came together as a team and they shut down and dominated the Lakers that year. And that was the beginning of the end because Shaq and Kobe split up after that season. Carl Malone retired. Gary Payton retired just a few years later. You know, it was a disaster. Um, and all of those guys, I, I don't know if Shaq and Kobe, but even you could argue Shaq and Kobe at some points there were wearing the uniform of leadership 
backwards because they were focused on themselves and they allowed themselves to battle and affected the rest of the team. And then we saw what happened. I think Kobe is a good example later on of a guy who came and figured out how to wear the uniform of leadership properly. And, you know, is a great example of someone who was, was a really good leader. And obviously what happened was terrible in losing him, but yeah, I mean, guys are, there's plenty of guys that are out there and you can kind of see them pretty quickly. They stand out almost like a sore thumb when you see these guys who are just in for it for themselves. And uh, yeah, I think there's always addition by subtraction when you're, when you're looking at it that way. Do you think it's bad leadership to allow guys like that to get away with it because of who they are or because of the talent that they might bring to a situation? I think sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I was watching the last dance and I'm watching Michael Jordan and I'm watching how he was leading some of the guys on his team. You guys both watched it, I presume, right? The last dance. And you saw he was really, really hard on his, a lot of his teammates, calling them names, you know, ripping them apart. And that was his way of motivating. But as I'm watching it and I knew the book was coming out in a couple of months, I'm like, this is exactly the opposite of what I think is a great leader or somebody who love like genuinely looks like they love and serve and care. We know Mike did obviously, but he really cared about winning over anything else. And he know those teammates of his had to help him win because he couldn't do it himself. Although it felt like he was doing it himself quite often. So, yeah, I think, you know, getting away with it's an interesting word because there are certain players who you feel like, all right, well, they're so good that you just let them get away with it. I don't know if there's one particular athlete right now that's being, uh, for lack of a better word, cancerous in the locker room because, you know, they're so good. I don't, I don't know if I can pinpoint one right now. Like to me, I look at LeBron and I think an amazing teammate who always seems to have a really good culture and his guys are around him. He's done some selfish things, but for the most part, it seems like he genuinely loves and cares about his teammates and never puts them on, on point, you know, in the, in the public space. Um, but I think of Jordan and that's not that long ago, 20 years ago. And he was, he was different. I wonder what Jordan would have been like if it was in today's world playing, uh, if that would have come out as him being more selfish or as him being just incredibly awesome, you know, at the same time. So I, I think sometimes talent supersedes, you know, all other attributes, if you know, they're that good, but who's, who's somebody like that now? I really can't think of anybody. Well, guys like, for instance, like a guy, somebody like Antonio Brown could could have but, but what opportunities, happened? right? But he's he would be given more opportunities, whereas others just wouldn't even get a shot. Well, there's coaches that buy into the fact that I can change this person. You know, right. Belichick right. did that with Randy Moss right. in 2008. Like Randy Moss was was a was a bad influence and was really on his way downward. He was not going to the Hall of Fame until Belichick said, let me just take a fourth round flyer on this dude. And he, get, he becomes a Hall of Famer playing for Belichick for four seasons or whatever it was. So I think there are certain coaches that think they can fix the problem. You know, that's why Belichick, I think, got Antonio Brown last year. He's like, we can fix this guy. Just right. get him in here and he'll buy into the Patriot way. And he didn't even do that. And then he was gone after one week. So, yeah, I mean, there are certain guys that, you know, you look for a fit. You hope they buy into the system. You hope they change. But the ones that are just so focused on themselves usually end up weeding themselves out, unfortunately. Bags, I think everyone by now knows where to buy books. But seeing as how we're 38 minutes into this thing, I should probably tell people there's this place called Amazon on the Internet. And you can also go to barnesandnoble.com. That's where you can buy books, everybody. Uh, The book is The Uniform of Leadership. Just start at jasonromano.com. You get all the information right there. Jason, you know this as, as well as anybody. What's the cardinal rule of live interviews? Never ask a question you don't know the answer to, right? However, <laughs> right. I'm still trying to learn from some of my mistakes here. So I, I've seen online that you have um, offers out there, two-for-ones, and that even christianbook.com has had a sale at times. Is sure. there a deal going right now that you want to tell people about to get this book? It's only been a week. Um I will say if you buy the book, I'll do this deal here if anybody's watching. If you buy the book and you send me, just DM me, my DMs are open. Send me the receipt that you bought the book today. Uh, I will send you a free copy of my first book, Live to Forgive. He's got it right there. Chris is holding it. So if you buy this book today, the, the Uniform of Leadership, 
just DM me the receipt, prove to me, you know, just screen grab Amazon or whatever. And then I will put out personally from my collection here uh, a copy of Live to Forgive in the mail. And you can read that as well. So awesome. there you go. Good job, Chris. Way to play that up. <laughs> well done, sir. I don't want to, you know, make a run through your inventory. Uh, before we let you go, buddy, um, you're a huge Cowboys fan as well. Yes. When, when all is said and done, will Dak be the quarterback long term for the Cowboys? And do you think he out earns Patrick Mahomes? Oh, out earns Mahomes? I don't think so. And I don't think he deserves to out-earn him unless he takes the Cowboys to the Super Bowl this year yeah. and wins it. Um, but I do think that he's the Cowboys quarterback of the future. I thought he was really good last year. I mean, Dallas is paying him $32 million this year to be quarterback for their team. So if you don't do that unless you, be, you, know, you believe in a guy. I think there's a little hesitancy to go long-term. I think there should have been a deal done beforehand. But I'm one of those guys where I don't get caught up in – you know, the mindset of, oh, they didn't pay him, so he's not going to be there a long time. Now, there's a very good chance if he, you know, if Dallas decides, if he has a really bad year this year or he gets injured or something, well, Dallas has the leverage now. So I get, but Dak's betting on himself. I like him. I really do. I mean, I, I argue with my buddy Dan Orlovsky a lot because Dan is all in on Carson Wentz when. being way yep. better than Dak Prescott. And Dan's obviously with ESPN. And, and, and I, agree Carson's probably a little bit better but I don't think he's as he's that much better and you know go back to durability too Dax never missed a game and he plays through injury and he's been successful you know look at his numbers he's won nine games he's won I think it's 13 9 10 and 9 like even Romo wasn't able to do that when he was quarterback and with Dallas and it's the first quarterback since Aikman to be able to help consistently lead teams that are winning or at least in the in the hunt for a playoff, you know, the expectations for the Cowboys, the media puts, I think, an expectation that they're a Super Bowl contender every year, but they haven't won a Super Bowl in 25 years. So there's no reason to think that you can just place them in a Super Bowl candidacy, right? Let's just let them win a couple playoff games. I'd love to see Dallas get to maybe the championship game this year. If he does that, like you got to pay Dak because he'd go further than any quarterback in 25 years. So I think he's the future, though. I, he's only 27, I think. Um, you know, that's the prime of your career. You don't want to. You don't want to take a chance and let that slip away. You just don't. All right, I'll leave you on this one, Jason. I'll circle it back to leadership. Who do you think is the best leader in sports today? Ooh, that's a great question. Best leader in sports. LeBron's one of them. You know, we mentioned him earlier. I think LeBron James on a bunch of different levels. Like he's a leader on the court. He led the league in assists this year at 34 as a six foot eight power forward. So that tells you something. But he's an amazing leader off the court. And yes, he uses social media and, 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 and you know, shares some intimacy, in, intimate moments and, you know, promotes some of the things he's doing. But he's also really doing a good job of serving others and building schools and providing opportunities for people. And so you're talking about an all-encompassing leader in sports. I think he's one of them. Uh, Mike Trout's a great leader, I think, you know, because he's one of those guys that isn't just vocal and screaming and yelling all the time. He's just the man every single day going at it. Um, you know, I could I would equip Trout in some ways to Jacob deGrom. And, you know, a lot of people might not throw his name in the mix, but – He's a bulldog, man. Two-time Cy Young Award winner. He pitched great last night and, you know, is another one of those guys that are just quiet, but they lead by example. Um, so that's more on the court. But I think LeBron probably has to be the, the best leader right now in sports. Uh, Brady, I'd, I'd put up there as well. Uh, but he's he's in a, a whole new environment. I can completely relate to Tom Brady. You know, he left that career and that cushy opportunity with the Patriots to go and try this new thing with Tampa. It might blow up in his face. It might not. But I'm fascinated to see how that works because to me he's maybe the best leader we've ever seen in the nfl uh and i say that because they're hesitantly because there's so many of them but i don't think anybody can deny what brady's been able to accomplish on the field and then away from the field starting with who he married but then going into you know all of the things in, in building the tb12 and the brady yeah. brand and looks like he's an amazing father to his kids so yeah i mean that's a long-winded answer, but I would say probably LeBron and Brady are the two. 
I love the DeGrom example because how many times over the last oh, couple of years has he been able to throw the team under the bus for not giving him any runs? And not right. once. Right. He never took that bait. And, and that can be difficult, I would imagine, when you're just fresh off a 2-1 loss or a blown save in the ninth and you get microphones thrown in your face and cameras and, and you don't yeah. slip once. That, that's pretty impressive. But he was <clears> – <throat> He was uh, recognized even, you know, I think part of the reason why he won the Cy Young, obviously he was dominant. And if you look at the two numbers, other than the wins and losses, you can't argue what he did the last two years. Right. But I think a part of the part of that was the media liked him and, and felt a little bit sorry for him because he never threw anybody under the bus. He just said, listen, I'm doing the best I can. And he goes out every day and gives you seven innings and strikes out 10 and gives up two runs. And there's nothing to show for it. And in fact, the first two games he pitched this year, same same exact thing. He technically should be three and zero right now, and he's one and zero. But the fact that he doesn't complain, he doesn't whine, he's not vocal, he's not pointing people back to himself, he's others focused. And I think he was honored partially in getting those two Cy Youngs because of that, just as much as obviously being dominant on the field. Go get the book, The Uniform of Leadership: uh, Lessons of Leadership from Jason Romano's time at ESPN, from the likes of Tony Dungy. Um, Will Ferrell was the name that, that jumped out to me, and I thought, I got to learn about this. I'm not going to go go read the book. Go check it out, The Uniform of Leadership. You can find it anywhere you buy books. Also, yeah. jasonromano.com. Jay, thank you, man. Thanks, guys. Sean, Chris, you guys are awesome. Thanks for inviting me. Let's do it again anytime. Absolutely. Good to talk with you, buddy. Be well, stay well, survive the storm, and, uh, and keep everybody in the family healthy. Thanks, guys. All the best to you. That is author Jason Romano, sportspectrum.com, as well as where you can find uh, his podcast, watch it, listen to it. Yeah, man. Great perspective on on everything there. Like I said, great to have another Mets fan on the show. Um, but go read the book is good advice because I've started doing that. And there really are a lot of lessons to be learned. And then, like you pointed out, the big thing for me is the questions at the end of it, because you're reading it and you think, okay, this is, this is good. This works in this situation. But then you ask yourself those questions yeah. you start yeah. to really think about how you can apply it to yourself, which, you know, you try to do that in everything you read or every kind of media that you consume, but this makes it easier for you basically. And really gives you the ability to internalize stuff in a unique way. Yeah, because honestly, Begs, there's so many times where whatever it is I'm reading, if it's a book or just something on the internet, it becomes mindless for me. Right? I'm just reading the words. I may not be absorbing it. The, the moments at the end of each chapter of reflection uh, were unique to me. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it, so I wanted to, to get Jason's answer on, on why they did it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, just those those brief moments there to, to pause before you move on to the next chapter. And the chapters are quick. It's a quick read, everybody. Yeah. Um, it's it's well worth uh, the time, the uniform of leadership. Bags, anything on the way out the door, buddy? Nets today. Your Nets are playing today. Wait, wait, I, wait. I assume you're, you're DVRing it. You'll watch it later. I'm DVRing it. By the way, Bucks minus 18 and a half. Now I, now, I know. Nobody's playing for you guys. I understand that. But 18 and a half in a bubble. I mean, come on. <laughs> to me, they're not bet today to cover that they're going to lose and they're going to get killed i think they could cover 18 and a half and it's funny you look at the spreads for the rest of the game say it's like five and a half you know whatever 18 and a half i mean Harrison Burns scored 30 the other night i mean they they they're it's not like they're putting four guys on the court yeah but i i thought i saw and i bet on me i thought i saw no lavert no joe harris today oh then it should be 28 and a half i didn't know that <laughs> oh my god forget it forget it by the way, the Mets stink, too. Can we just circle back to the Mets? I know they won yesterday. You have to win when Jake pitches, right? And they they have only done that twice out of three times. You can only win every single one because the rest of it, it you just don't know what you're going to get. I, I love Steven Matz. I want to believe in Steven Matz. I don't. And after that, Porcello and Waka, it's just not enough. And I want it. Pierce, our buddy Pierce, who's a big Mets fan, used to work with yeah. us at the station, texted me the other day. Like, I looked forward to nothing more for five months than the start 
of this baseball season. And it was like this past week, and he's like, and I already can't even watch. You know, that was the day after they, they blew the huge lead and lost 11 to 10, which I know you were jumping up and down about. Oh. But it's just so painful being a Mets fan. And having another Mets fan on was great, but it really brings out the pain even more because you can feel it when you look at another Mets fan. We have this, we have this connection. Do you know what's funny is I – I th- you know I thought the NL East is the best division in baseball, right? And and even in a sixty game season, man, it is going to be a grind. When is the last time the Marlins and Nationals played a baseball game? I know. And well, Martin Stroman hasn't pitched for the Mets yet. The Braves lose their best pitcher. The Phillies have been eh. Like all of a sudden, I'm looking at this division. Like boy, I don't know, whoever comes out of this thing is going to get the floor wiped by one of the West teams. And it's just so Mets, too. Like, we have to play 10 games now. And already this season, right, no center guard, no Stroman. Cespedes has quit on the team. The bullpen already stinks. It's just so Mets. Ed Luz Diaz has been in his his rare form. It's just so Mets, man. And it's only 10 games in. But I did say at work the other day, hey, at least they were in it until early August this year, which is which is great, you know. But here's the thing, too, Chris. Everybody's still in it because so many teams are going to make the playoffs, and teams are going to get in with records that you're like, really? So I say that in jest. Really, everybody still has, assuming we finish a season, everybody gets to play games. Everybody has a legit shot to make the playoffs. So for a team like the Mets, you just got to keep grinding away because, you know, yeah. It's not like they've been. It's not like they're 15 games out or anything like no, that. It just, no. it's it just, it, it's a feeling with the Mets. You know, it's how they do it. But they're, yeah. they're mathematically, they're. I mean, they're obviously. Right. In it. If, if you get to October, you'll jump in again with both feet. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you get, get Degrom could win a seven-game series by himself, almost. Well, not by himself, but he can win you two games. He can do half the work. He get you three. Yeah. Maybe get you three, and if you have. Stroman and if Matt, you know, so yeah, it's always if with the Mets. If, right. if, if that, like the Yankees, there are no ifs. It's when, it's when we hit, when we hit the crap out of the ball, when we win, you know, nine out of every 10 games we're going to play. That's yep. the Yankee way. Yep. When we pay Garrett Cole 300 and something right. million dollars, then we'll be, yeah, I know. Yep. All right, Bags. Uh, hey, good luck at work today, huh? We got storms in the area. Yeah, starting to get a little breezy here. Rain's coming down. But uh, the worst of it, probably supposed to be around six or so, I think is what they were saying yesterday. I don't know if that's changed. But, yeah, whatever. What are you hunkering down today? I am. Well, as you say, Paul and Kovacic at the wall. Just let it ride. Yeah. We've coined a new phrase last night. uh, Paul's to the wall. (laughs) Paul's to the wall. And that's the whole show. Falls to the wall. He just stands there and talks about weather for a half hour. There you so, go. You don't, to, you don't have to produce anything. Just have to write a single story. <laughs> What's the plan for tonight? Falls to the wall. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. All right, buddy. See you soon, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for watching, everybody. Honorado and Bagnardi, we are, uh, we're back at you next week. Exciting news this week with sponsors coming on board, business partnerships, uh, being developed here and uh, and looking forward to some of the fun stuff we're going to do uh, with the sponsors we're bringing on board. Love it. All right, thanks. Be good, man. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>